Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Hello and welcome back to another riveting episode of Coaching Inside the Box. This one, episode 53, and our jumping off point for this conversation is going to be, have you ever been that player? And what we mean by that is how it can change your life uh, when you have to carry the team. And this is going to be an interesting conversation because Philippe and I have had to carry many a team in our life with our creative ability to, 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 to beat players off the dribble, combine with teammates and put the ball in the back of the net. Andy has always been the teammate that has been carried. And so it's going to be really interesting to have Andy's perspective related to um, wishes and if onlys had he grown up in an environment that allowed him to do anything other than take people out of the knees and stick it in the mixer while whacking it long. Andy, Philippe, welcome to Wait, another hold episode. Hold on a second. I'm the teammate that's been carried? That's, that's exactly how I... So uh, in Brazil, we actually it. have an expression for that kind of players. They actually, they carry the piano for the <laughs> artists. Okay. So it, we call them piano carriers. <laughs> that's why, you know, Dunga was a piano carrier of Roma, Romario and Babette, yeah, yeah. who were the artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what you yeah. don't realize is I wasn't even good enough to be the piano carrier. <laughs> 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 you were the leg breaker. <laughs> Axe murder. <laughs> yeah, I'd kick the piano carrier in the head. <laughs> he, he kicked not just the artist, even the piano carrier. And the piano. I was jealous of the piano carrier. <laughs> I mean, like, it was a long time ago that Andy Andy's playing days were, so obviously everybody listening to this never saw Andy play. Um, but if you could just imagine... You're so lucky you never saw me play. <laughs> if you could just imagine a Neanderthal with a club, that's what Andy looked like, yeah. and so uh, he was be I, better I looking got, than I was. <laughs> I, I, I gotta think that's false. And I give him, I give you more credit than than I think you give yourself. I I imagine. I mean, obviously there was no footage at that time, but you know, you I imagine you're you're a pretty good player. You, you you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we give it so much grief. I wanted to, you know, compliment you a little bit. So. Well, guys, I'm just, just really, trying. I'm really happy to be back. The three of us together in the studio recording. We tried to do this a week ago, but Philippe forgot to charge his phone, and uh, his alarm never went off, and he slept right through it. So uh, it's a week delayed, but it's a week, uh, but it's uh, uh, certainly nice to be back together. For and sure. I was the first one to arrive today. So yeah, I, I, well, I showed up fashionably late, ten minutes late on purpose. <laughs> First one to arrive, but you can't talk properly this morning. What's wrong with your voice right now? I'm coaching way too much, Andy. You know, I went from Florida, then I came back from Florida already running practice. I don't cancel ever. So, you know, I actually run extra practice and I had games and I had midweek games and, you know, I, I just lost it completely. That used to happen to me all the time. Sounds like the Andy, mid-90s. <laughs> it's, it's, it's starting to become my normal but voice. When I was the only coach on eight teams, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's... Uh, because I made up for my lack of an you know, ability to play with coaching. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can still picture as a player, you, you having two games side by side on, on adjacent fields and you sitting on your stool down by the two corner flags in between those with your head swiveling back and forth watching and coaching both games. 
Oh, he was used to it when he played, when they try to play him center mid in England because the center back kicked long to the forward. His head is on the swivel. So the head is always turning, you know, so. <laughs> no, I was one of the def defenders kicking the ball 70 yards. <laughs> <laughs> did your dad yell boom every time it hit your foot uh, oh, like Corey my, Farabi's dad did? Uh, my, my dad was, you know, he, he was a boxer growing up and he was totally cool. You know, he had this self-concept that, you know, because, you know, he was really good. You know, and uh, and so he never shouted. He just came to the games. Just he stood off to the side. He he wasn't a great mixer at the games because he couldn't stand being around parents that lost it. Mm -hmm. You know, and so he was always there. You know, you know, kind of at the end of the field on his own. I remember coaching Kenny Mayer, Alan Mayer, the yeah, goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. famous goalkeeper, yeah, Hall yeah, of yeah. Fame goalkeeper. Yeah. And Alan was the same way. Alan had, had been a professional coach, and he had his kid playing for me. You know, and he totally left the coaching up to me, didn't say a word, just brought his deck chair, sat down by the corner flag, out of the way, was totally friendly to everybody, lovely man. Oh, he's oh, the friendliest he's one, guy. He's one of the most incredible people I met. Lo lovely mm. man. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, but, you know, did not, and I'm sure he had negative opinions about, you know, you know, probably most of the stuff I was doing, you know, and, and at that point in time, I had way more experience, you know, with the professional game and everything than I had, you know, but at the end of the day, he stayed out of it and he let me be the coach, mm -hmm. you know, which I've always respected. He never once tried to interfere in any way, shape, form or fashion. Yeah. Do you, you, know? do you want to hear a good story about him? So No. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you do. <laughs> but you know what? The feeling's mutual. I see that paper in your hand, Andy. You're about to tell us some jokes, and Philippe and I both don't want to hear those. So <laughs> We're what, trying to stop. goes around, comes around. <laughs> no, okay, but I'll put it away. I'm, I'm out of here. See you guys. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, um, like he was uh, one of my coaches at the Comets for two and a half years that I played there, and... I mean, obviously in the sessions, you know, coaching us and all that. But even on game day, he wouldn't sit, you know, in the box with us, with the team. He would watch upstairs by himself because he said, if I'm there, I'm going to get involved. I'm way too passionate. Can you always tell stories of how crazy he was in his, during his playing yeah, days. Yeah, Kenny, Kenny's told me a few of those stories yeah. as well. Because <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we coached he, together on the soul this summer. And, uh, and he and told me a whole bunch of them about yeah. his dad. And I was like, there's no way that's your dad. Exactly. You can't, you can't <laughs> you know? really believe because he's the nicest human being ever. But yeah, and then he would always say, I can't I just sit there on my own. I, I cuss at myself or whatever, write my notes. <laughs> yeah. And I don't influence anything that the head coach and assistant coach to their job, you know, and Kenny takes care of, Kenny obviously is the other goalkeeper coach. Kenny takes care of the goalkeepers during the game and Kenny's the opposite. Kenny screams the <laughs> whole game, referees us, and he's an awesome uh, guy as well, but it's just a completely different personality. But. Oh, I had to jump on his back to stop him going on the field and beating a referee. Dirty soul <laughs> game? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love both of them. I'm going mean, to okay. send them this this yeah. section of the the podcast for them to to listen to because yeah. they're going to love it. Yeah. <laughs> Ken is like a firework. You know, you like the fuse, you get the hell out of the way. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Andy, uh, bring us into our topic du jour um, with uh, some laughter. So, so you know, with the or topic is leadership. So, um, you know, this this first joke is called meeting the Pope. So. A man walked into Philippe's Brazilian barbershop. <laughs> so, <laughs> and for his regular haircut, 
As he snips away, Philippe asks, what's up? The man proceeds to explain he's taken a vacation to Rome. Rome, Philippe says. Why would you want to go there? It's crowded, dirty, city full of Italians. You'd be crazy to go to Rome. So how are you getting there? We're taking Delta, a flight with Delta, the man replies. Delta yells, Philippe, they're terrible, terrible airline. Where are you staying in Rome? The man says, we'll be at the downtown Marriott. Uh, that dump, says Philippe, that's the worst hotel in the city. Rooms are small, service is slow, they're overpriced, so what you doing when you get there? The man says, we're going to the Vatican and hope to see the Pope. That's rich, laughs Philippe. You and a million other people trying to see him, he'll look the size of an ant. Boy, good luck on this trip, you're going to need it. A month later, the man comes in for his regular haircut. Philippe says, well, how'd the trip to Rome turn out? Bet your Delta gave you the worst flight of your life. Quite the opposite, said the man. They bumped us up to first class. The food was wonderful, and I had an attendant who waited on me hand and foot. Hmm, Philippe says. Well, I bet the hotel was awful. No, quite the opposite. They just finished a $25 million remodeling. It's the finest hotel in Rome now. They were overbooked, so they apologized and gave us the presidential suite for no extra charge. Well, Philippe mumbles, I know you didn't get to see the Pope. Actually, we were lucky. As we toured the Vatican, a Swiss guard tapped me on the shoulder and explained the Pope likes to personally meet some of the visitors. So we got to. I knelt as he spoke a few words to me. Impressed, Philippe asks, tell me, please, what did he say? Oh, not much, really. Just where'd you get that awful haircut? (laughs) (laughs) that was pretty good (laughs) (laughs) that was funny funny. Uh, what was Philippe's friend name Andy Barney (laughs) (laughs) you gotta show more respect (laughs) (laughs) I I just don't plan my jokes I think of them on the fly (laughs) okay so this this is the next joke (laughs) I'm I'm ignoring you guys for the rest of the podcast. Um, A shrewd man and a hard bargainer, Alexander Molotov, works for Vladimir Putin. Yesterday, he was heard talking to Putin on the phone by a Western reporter. He said, yes, comrade Putin, in quiet tones. Then again, yes, comrade Putin. And then again, after a long wait, certainly comrade Putin. Suddenly, he was galvanized into emotion. No, Comrade Putin, he barked. No, that's, that's no. Definitely no. A thousand times no. After a while, he calmed down. And it was, yes, Comrade <laughs> Putin, again. The reporter who overheard this was excited. Clearly, Molotov was daring to oppose the dictator on at least one point, And it would surely be important to the West to know what. The reporter approached Molotov and said, calmly as possible, Secretary Molotov, I could not help but hear you say at one point... No, comrade Putin. Molotov turned his cold eyes on the reporter and said, What of it? May I ask, said the reporter cautiously, what the subject under discussion was at that time. You may, said Volotov. Comrade Putin asked me if there was anything he had said with which I disagreed. Hey, leadership. You know, That's right. If, yeah. you're, if you're so scared of somebody that... <laughs> I mean, it kind of perfectly describes like a coach's meeting with Andy. Like, oh, no, no, Andy, we're all totally on board. 100%. Exactly. exactly. And then you're going to do completely the opposite. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, like, okay, so I, our conversation today, like, it's, it's leadership focused, but really, like, <laughs> where this came from, for those of you guys listening at home or in your drive to work or to your next practice that you're coaching, where this came from was a conversation that, you know, we have this text thread that just lives forever between the three of us. And a conversation, um, you know, Fleep oftentimes shares clips of Brazilian players, oftentimes Brazilian league clips, stuff that Andy and I wouldn't see, or most of you wouldn't see unless you were really searching for it. Um, and it's just a conversation built around like, man, like what, what type of personality and player can play with such creativity under such intense pressures? And, and, and it's, it's, it's something that, um, that, that of course lives within athletes in many different sports and in many different places, but it's a special piece of Brazilian players. Like we see Brazilian players all across the world in so many different leagues and they're always, or almost always, or most often, the, uh, the most creative ones, the most dynamic ones, the ones that without them the team doesn't succeed in a really intense way. Um, and uh, it just brought us down this conversation that we wanted to bring to you guys today, which is when you have players that have that special panache and they put the team on their back to make things happen. Um, they they develop a certain level of leadership um, that transcends the game. It, it, it walks off the field as well. Um, and, and so that's really what we wanted to, to talk about today. And Philippe, specifically in this conversation and conversations we've had in the past, this seems to be one of your... Um, beacon points in terms of why you appreciate coaching the way that you coach is the impact that it has on the players that play for you. And so could you kind of illustrate that point for us uh, for a moment? Before he does that, I'd like to point out that Philippe sends about 300 of these a day, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, after a while, it doesn't feel educational anymore. It just feels like, look how superior us Brazilians are to you stupid English people, uh, you know. So Andy always talks about how more is more, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I send so him you more, more. And oh, he's complaining. So when he wants With to one exception. Meeting, our meetings, I'm going to bring that up. Mission accomplished. <laughs> well, I mean, you just got back from Florida, right? You can probably put a story or a, an experience or, or put that experience in context in terms of seeing transcendent players on the field and that creativity and, and, and what they have to do to carry uh, um, uh, the game or, the, or, or, or elements of the game for their team, what that does and how that impacts them off the field as well. No, 100%. And I think there are... There are many reasons why I coach, but like you said, that's one of the, the main the main ones because I think the things that I've been experiencing uh, during my seven to eight years, I think seven that I've been coaching here in this club. It's that long? Yeah. Wow. All right, go. Yeah. It only feels like 40. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, it, you know, I, I got this group uh, six years ago, um, so I'm heading to my six or seven seasons with them. And I, I got them moving from Division Two in the local league. You know, they were moving from Division Two to Division One. You know, and Pat and I put kind of start putting the team together, and a lot of most of the boys are still there. And you know, we had some additions, but just seeing how much they've progressed on the field. You know, we had incredible hit results in Florida in the highest level of competition that we play. Um, and ju not just the results itself, but like we, we talk about, we won 3-0, 5-1, and 5-1. And in all those games, we had more chances than the other team 
even disregarding the goal by like a country mile. And defensively, incredible, like all the aspects of the game. And also, besides all that, all the leadership aspect of the game. And I'm going to bring one example, which is from one of the new players um, that came on board uh, recently. And he wasn't a Legends player. And, you know, he's a kid that's very emotional, very passionate, which is a great asset if you can channel the right way. But, you know, he's the kid that in times of frustration or when times that he gets hit um, and are protected by the referees and stuff. And a lot of times, you know, he's a skillful player and with the freedom we're giving him, he's becoming even more. Um, so he gets a lot of abuse by other players on other teams, you know, and he tended to react at times, you know. In, in ways that, you know, by complaining or, you know, on the next play also going a little extra too hard. And during the Florida tournament, he he got fouled. And, you know, actually he was kind of, him and the kid were kind of pulling each other, nothing crazy. Referee blew the whistle, called a foul on him. The kid turned and punched him in the face in the middle of the game. His reaction was like, looked at the referee, didn't say a word. Referee was standing right next to it, pulled the red card, no reaction whatsoever. So it showed just an amount of self-control that honestly I never had in my life, you know? And he's the kid that if somebody does that to his teammate, he's probably gonna, you know, go there and back his teammate up. But at that time he was able to control himself like that. And that shows the ability of a philosophy like that that gives kids the freedom to experience the ability of them to handle situations of pressure, whether it's taking the penalty kick or, you know, handling a situation like that and a, a referee that sometimes even abuse the kids, you know, the referee that is not calling the fouls and, you know, our players, because of the way they play, they get hit way more than other players because they don't really know how to defend them because they only defend against players that pass the ball in practice in most of their games. Um, and some referees, they're like, get up! You know, and like even start acting a little rude to the kids. And, you know, I think our players are able to control themselves in those situations more often than the other players. And they're also, uh, on the other side, able to shine uh, in their soccer side as well when it matters. And, you know, I think that's beautiful to see. And, you know, we bring up Brazil. The amount of pressure these kids go through in their childhood to, you know, they see people dying in their corner of their house being shot, you know, they see drugs being sold, they're being asked to do those things, you know, they see horrible things that, you know, we only read every once in a while in the back of the news, you know, they see their reality every day and they need to get out of it and they want to take their family out of it. And when they go to the soccer field to, you know, to train, to practice and to make an academy, to make a professional team, they're fine to get, fighting to get out of all of that. But because they see all of that, I mean, playing a soccer game is nothing for them. It, there's no pressure for them. The, it's, their, it's their way out. It's their, you know, it's their escape from all that. So they feel joy. They don't feel the pressure. Yeah. They take a PK. The crowd is yelling. They embrace it. They're being yelled at and cussed at by the fans if they're playing bad. They don't really care because the uh, things that they had to deal with growing up are 10 times worse. So that ability um, 
you know, by Brazilians, Argentinians, and, you know, some countries like that that went through that. And England had a big portion of that. Kids that came through war society, Germany, war society, Italy, war society. It's the, t the tough ones that make it. And I think when you, when a philosophy like we do, we give them the freedom. But because of all the things that they have to handle, they also get tough. And sure. I think that's so it, it, it comes down to this, though. From a, from a fitness for life standpoint, training soccer our way, the legends way, has a greater positive effect on a wider range of character attributes than any other single environment in society, in our opinion, of course. And hopefully we can back it up, and we have in these podcasts and in, in the books, etc. Legends players develop greater speed, power, strength, endurance, and aerobic capability than those trained in traditional ways. The creative dribbling and shooting-based curriculum also forges tremendous coordination, balance, and agility. Additionally, the deceptive dribbling and precision ball striking demanded of each player grooves great skill at speed. Intelligence is both fully utilized and developed by the myriad available variables. Most other facets of good character are honed because of the greater challenges. This is what you were just talking about frustrations, fatigue, and physical abuse that players must overcome when playing the legend's way. The philosophy also demands greater communication and creative problem solving at a higher speed under pressure. And these are two of the most essential life skills. Furthermore, the legend's approach offers both the smaller, slightly built, and the bigger, more muscular individual an equality of opportunity and a better chance to optimize their talent, the more traditional coaching philosophies. Because of the constant action and creative expectation, Legends players are engaged and motivated for the whole practice. In addition, the unique one versus one and two versus two Legends system can be adapted to accommodate any player permutation at practice. A further advantage is that the training soccer Legends concept is comparatively simple. In the legend system, great players can be developed without unreasonable cost because the program is oriented more towards the practice environment where if the curriculum is good, most true learning and development occurs. Finally, the curriculum's emphasis on deceptive dribbling in crowded conditions builds a higher level of intuitive awareness and a sixth sense for choosing the right option under extremely high physical and mental pressure. All this develops a refined radar for danger, an elite ability to solve problems, and a superior quality of connective tissue that makes legends trained players less likely, likely to suffer serious setbacks in soccer and in life. What do you I, think? I think you brought one thing that it's, it's on point, like the fatigue aspect and how our philosophy make the kids have to deal with that because there's they're playing one-on-one -on -one, they're playing one-on-two if they hide what happens they're gonna get scored 10 times right and but but it's not just fatigue it's holistic exactly the sure. point about everything there is that it hits every single facet yeah of, of human development getting them ready for life it's, yeah. it's not just pushing one button out of a hundred yeah it's simultaneously pushing all of them under pressure all of them at once if you like and w what i was going to say is like the fatigue for example you go, you go down to Brazil, you go down to Argentina, you go down to the suburbs of France, you go down in the, you know, the 40s and the kids that won the English work, England, the work for, Eng for England, um, they were working on the coal mines with their dads when they didn't have, couldn't play soccer or helping their moms with something. So those kids, they don't have a choice to be tired. They don't have a, 
a couch to lay down and relax and a TV to sit down and watch. They had to keep going, keep going nonstop on everything they were doing. And soccer was their way out. So they, there's no such thing as being tired. My mom was working two jobs, three jobs. My dad is working 24-7. You know, the, it's not that reality. And our kids here are, uh, are put under those cert same circumstances in a sense in terms of having to go through the fatigue, having to go through the pressure. It's one-on-one. -on -one. It's only you. If you if something happens, it's on you. You have to deal with it. You lost the ball, you're going to have to go get it. You know, you, you and all that kind of stuff. And like you said, and take away the element of um, the creativity and how we push them to be more than what they, you know, think they ever could be, you know, they to try to them make them special. And you look at the, all those same societies, their ki those kids were, when growing up, when they were not doing the work stuff with their parents and all that, they were in the streets playing soccer without a coach, having all the freedom in the world to be creative. And that's also what we give here. So we combine everything that it's been proven to be the recipe of success for the athletes, you know, and for people that succeed in life. You know, obviously you don't need to go through a tough environment to succeed in life necessarily, but some of the traits needs to be to appear in certain areas of your life because if everything comes easy, then you're not going to work for it. The one thing that uh, my favorite things in life are when uh, you you do something and then all of a sudden it it creates something that you didn't see coming, right? Like, and, and I think oftentimes progress. Um, progress for us or for human humans just in general comes from scenarios like that. And, you know, Andy, you've talked, I've heard you talk a lot. We've talked about it on this podcast. There's a specific story I love and we've shared on previous episodes. But, like, you didn't choose this path for this coaching methodology um, uh, because of the impact you thought it would have on kids. You chose this path and this methodology. Um, uh, I, I understand it for, in large part because... Um, you loved the creative dynamic players growing up. George Best, you just loved that, 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 and it was cool. Like it just, it just really, you gravitated to it. And so for that reason, you developed this perspective that those type of players were the, had the biggest impact on the game, right? And so, which is the right perspective, obviously, we all agree on that front. And so you started training it and studying it and figuring out and twisting and turning 1v1s and then to 3v3s and not 3v3s, now 2v2s. And like, you've created this whole thing, but somewhere along the line, years after you started this path, it was, it became apparent to you that this path is what has the biggest impact in terms of leadership and what it does, this, this environment of giving kids the, the, the license and the freedom and the tools and, and encouraging them to go for it and, and embrace failure. That's actually what creates the best leaders. And it was at some point in the mid, actually, I think it was probably late 90s, early 2000s, where your mission changed as I understand it, from I want to create the most deceptive dribblers to I want to create the best leaders for life. And the best way to develop the best leaders for life is to develop the best deceptive dribblers. And I just think that's cool when, like, like the mission in, that we all carry, that you talk about passionately, Philippe, and Andy, you talk about passionately, and so many of us as coaches talk about passionate. passionately. We want our kids to be brave, creative 
leaders for life. And that's not how this whole thing started. Initially, it just started, we want to create really deceptive dribblers. And we go, all, it smacked us in the face like a cold kipper or whatever that dub English saying is that Andy Gob always smacked. says. Gobsmacked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gobsmacked is like, holy cow. Like, no, it's so much bigger than that. And this is just a, a vehicle, a means to an end, um, and a very important end that will propel society forward. I, I couldn't agree more. And, yeah, me neither and too. Sometimes you start a journey, and along the road, you realize that there was something much bigger at work, you know, something that would really be able to help humankind. And I, I, I look at people today that were, you know, that, that are exactly the way I was, you know, in their attitude towards the game. And, you know, people are so um, immediate. You know, they're interested in, what can you do for me now? And they want to win. Because our society brings people up to love, you know, the fact that we walk away having got a 1-0 victory. It could be a terrible game of soccer, but we got a 1-0 victory, boring as hell, you know, and the kids didn't learn anything at all. They were just banging the ball long and chasing it, you know, and they weren't being challenged to be brave, creative leaders, you know, to develop anything extraordinary. They weren't in any way, and this happens all the time still today, they're not in any way being challenged to be transcendent to be fantastic, to be godlike, you know, when they get the ball. And so their horizons are being terribly limited, you know, in the game that they're playing because they're not being challenged by their coaches to do anything but win on the weekend. And they're being used and kids sit the bench and the coach does all of these abusive things, frankly, with the kids, you know. And, you know, and, and that's, to a certain degree, the society I was brought up in. Well, I was lucky enough that that I got gradually positioned in such a way by my environment, growing up in the boarding house, you know, playing chess with incredibly intelligent lodgers, you know, and, you know, hearing arguments from people from all over the world, that I got to think again and think again and think again and think again. Every day I was constantly being challenged to review my paradigms and change my paradigms. And so I gradually started to realize that it's not about winning a stupid game of soccer. You know, any, anything in life, it's not about putting money in the bank. It's not about, you know, unless you're starving, obviously, you know. And, and so I started thinking about what should life really be about? And it should be about the pursuit of transcendence, you know. And transcendence is being godlike, is being as good as you can be, you know. And, and godlike in, in not in terms of having power over the people, but in terms of being really, really um, positive in your impact you know, on the rest of society, on the people around you, your family, your friends, you know, as, as much as you possibly can be in life. And that should be the goal and objective of everybody in life. And that's what I feel we've done here is we've challenged our players because we've asked them to be a Leo Messi, a CR7, a Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, um, a, a, a Ronaldinho, a, a Rivaldo, etc., etc. You know, um, we've we've challenged our players to be uh, transcendent. We've challenged our players to be as good as, you know, eventually better than the best in world history. You know, and whilst that might sound ridiculous they're going to achieve more if we challenge them to be better than the best, if that makes sense. 100%. And we set really high goals for them, you know. And so, so what we've done is we've created over time this mentality after realizing that we're trying to develop people that are transcendent, adults that are transcendent. We've broken it down into 
four key areas, and that's physiology, psychology, technique, and tactics. And anybody that's studied physical education, you know, I mean, this is boilerplate stuff. You know, they understand this. But physiologically, our program, you know, has an intense focus on fakes and moves and demands an incredibly wide range of plyometric strength, you know, reaction strength, for, for want of a better way of putting it. Consequently, it optimizes the rebound capability of ligaments, tendons, muscles, and bones, all of the major connective tissues. And with its intense demands on the primary and secondary anaerobic and aerobic systems, it also refines the musculoskeletal and cardiovascular systems to a far greater degree than traditional conventional soccer coaching methods. So it doesn't cost anything from a physiological perspective. It actually creates phenomenal physiological fitness, the way that we do it. That's number two. What, sorry, can I add to the first number one? Yeah, jump in, jump in. I can I, revisit 100, this again. 100%, that's a major thing that I see with my team when we go to Florida and we go play at the highest level. How my boys are so much more fit than the other teams. It's unreal. We play a high-pressing style, non-stop, everybody, the whole time, just two guys sprinting at the ball, the whole time. And they don't stop, and they cover for each other. The center back dribbles the ball all the way up top, they cover. Game three of the weekend, we go play against the other team that is undefeated. Two guys are limping on the field, they had eight on the bench. Two guys are still limping on the field. After 15 minutes in the first half, they're already like moving so slow. And my boys, that's why I won 5 1. Because the second half, my boys are just running them over. It's, and do I do any fitness training? Zero. My boys don't do any running without the ball unless they do something disrespectful. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm laughing. You say, do I do any fitness training? You do zero. No, you do 100%. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. All you do is ball. fitness yeah. training. Yeah, but, yeah, but it's tied in with everything else. But everything, exactly. but, but there's yeah, no all at once. there's no standing around. Let's talk about this and positional strategy. So, so, that has so I, I, I got to say this. Every uh, session is full I'm, on physiology. I, I'm listening to you speak right now, you know, and uh, you know, a thought, a picture jumped into my head. Uh -huh. You know, do you ever watch the movie The Godfather? Yeah, you know, and, and Marlon Brando. Uh -huh. You know, you sound just like he did when he was uh, ordering a hit on somebody. You know, <laughs> that's a big compliment. You just call me the Godfather. <laughs> how, how how does it get better than that? <laughs> yeah, but so you know, we've we've covered the, the you know the physiological. What about the psychological? Psychological, because from a psychological perspective, the deceptive dribbler goal scorer must be a braver and more creative leader than the passer. The legends approach builds a leadership mentality by putting the child on center stage while doing exceptionally difficult things in the fires of public competition. Legends players are also targeted to a greater degree than passers because they're special ones. The extra attention they receive from opponents, coaches, and spectators forces them to develop a much braver, creative attitude towards soccer and life. What about that one? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I shared with you guys before the podcast, you know, the boys that came in from other clubs, how the, much the parents tell me how much happier they are and how much more interested in soccer they are and, you know, how much more fun and excited they are for coming to practice, you know. And, again, 
even if the coaching is not better, if the kid is having more fun, is more motivated, and he's more excited, they're going to be better on the field too. Philippe, I, I love being on a podcast with you. Because, you know, when I ask a question like, what about that one? What do I get from Andrew? Yes, yes, and yes. And I get something intelligent. I get something deep from you. You know, <laughs> so you. I just love being on the podcast with you. You know, glad someone does. Um, uh, I was chatting to Matt Iverson this week because him and I uh, ran a high school girl session together. And him and I, obviously, you know, that's been around in the club forever, right? But we don't typically coach together. We just see us as passing ships in the night, walking from field to field. And we ran a session together, maybe for the first time, at least the first time that uh, in a long time. Um, and uh, as we were running the session, we were kind of talking about our our sessions and how we run our sessions and some small differences between how we put on our 1v1s and our 2v2s. And it was really fun. Like I really enjoyed getting his perspective and seeing how he does things a little bit differently, um, but obviously the same. Um, and the one takeaway that we both had from the conversation is how frustrated we get when we have a session that we run that we don't feel like is as efficient as possible. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like this, this, this theme between both of us as we were talking about our sessions of, of the, that like goal number one, efficiency. Like we want to get the most out of the session as humanly possible and, and, and don't want to put anything off. And Matt like did a really good job of like changing it for me a little bit. He goes, I've started to, to, to insist that my kids arrive 10 minutes earlier than they were arriving so that they can do everything that they need to. So the second the session starts, right, um, we're, we're rocking into it. And like the number of touches that we're getting and how fast the play is and how little time that they're spent doing anything other than playing soccer in a 1v1 or 2v2 manner. Um, and 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 it, it it's it's no surprise that the success that Matt's teams have that they have because they're getting twenty percent more out of their sessions than uh, than than other people that are fairly efficient with the sessions that they put on. That's a very good point because I what I did with my teams I scheduled practice fifteen minutes earlier. Then it actually starts. Yeah. So they think I arrive 15 minutes late every time. <laughs> I don't. I just they're they're in, age, they're in an indoor facility here. They're safe. You know they're 15 years old. They don't realize, but they I just make them come 15 minutes early. So they're on the field. They chit chat. They talk about everything that happened in school that day. They start playing when the they even, ready, when yeah. I when I arrive they're ready to play. But like when Andy, you know. when you talk about physiology, psychology, technique, and tactics, what I mean by that coach that's listening right now, every session that you run, if you can maximize the efficiency so that every single one of those is baked into every single activity that you do, it's not, okay, for the next 15 minutes, really going to work on technique, but we're going to ignore phys physiology or psychology in terms of, of, of making them recover from challenging situations, or we're going to ignore decision-making, right, which is at the core of all tactics, then your session's not efficient. And so that's what we run with our 1v1s and our 2v2s and, 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 and our whole apparatus is we hit every single one of those in, its, in the most intense way throughout every single second of every single minute of every single practice. We get everything every at once. Game. We get everything at once. Right. And, and, and the whole system is geared towards getting exactly what we need at every stage of development, you know, and getting the maximum out of every single second of every single minute of every single hour of practice, and, you know, with everything at once. What, what is it you say, Andy? More is more? More is more. Yeah. You know, more. it's a complete fallacy that less is more. You know, that's that's great for lazy people, 
but they're not going to reach the top. I'm sorry. You know, that's the way it is. You know, but you, you mentioned, you know, the third point is technique. And, you know, and arguably the key athletic skill is technique. And a lot of people don't get this. The Legends Method teaches and hones the difficult and risky techniques of the greatest players of all time. Why? Because they transfer back to everything more, else. It's more efficient. It's, it's way, way more efficient. You know, Legends coaches develop players who can carve open defenses and score great goals. Because Legends players are exceptionally skillful, they feel incredibly good about their ability to influ influence their teams, you know, club, ODP, high school, college eventually, in unique positive ways. This high self-concept stems from the immeasurably different and better technical foundation common to great deceptive dribblers and goal scorers and almost totally focused on by our club. Make sense? Yes, yes, yes. And I hate to say it, but the Brazilians have given the world the example because every time I say that, I can see Philippe's head swell a little bit more. Well, his chest puffs out, right? Like, like <laughs> yeah. he sits up a little bit taller. But they're in danger of losing it. You know, and so, you know, the, the past is, you know, they've been a great example to the world. You know, and I'm not going to say the world is catching up because of, you know, the great street soccer they're playing, you know, you know, it, it, because they've got something that's very similar to what we're doing. No, that's exactly the Brazilians are fading. The Brazilians are joining the rest of the world, you know, and not spending as much time doing the street soccer thing, you know, and being picked up by academies earlier and being trained tactically to win games instead of being trained to develop incredible creativity. So I think I boil that down in my head, and I think this is, is, is helpful for those listening, from those coaches listening, is that I think it's, it's human nature to try to control, right? And so as a coach... Um, if we can control the environment and control, you know, put a few more cones on the field or add an extra um, uh, uh, elevated level of, of, of tactical work, right? Then, then we can control that. And, and, it, and so it's, it's very sexy. It's very vogue. It's something that once we start to see it, we go after. Um, you know, Brazil um, of, of the old days, we weren't nearly as global a society and certainly not nearly as global as a so soccer society. And, you know, now it's so easy for us on the internet to go watch a Pep Guardiola session or to go watch, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, the best soccer team in Europe's U14 session and go, I'm going to start implementing that in my own environment. And so that that ability to 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 impart control on all of those those tactical concepts from a training perspective is seeping into the Brazilian culture, and because we're becoming very global as a, in in all aspects, uh, it's it's becoming very tempting for Brazilians to lose from a coaching perspective, from a soccer environment perspective, to lose that that um, that Brazilian flair, and even just dropping it down one percent it might pull you underneath the tipping point. It pulls you down below the, from that, that margin of greatness that, that makes the difference for the future. I would, I would actually agree with the end result by our, the reasons are not what's happening in the academies or that, that the academy system and the way the Brazilian teams operate, all of that, everything is a hundred times more towards the creative side. Everything. The biggest problem is the other aspect that we're talk we I think what we've been talking about. We still are the country by a country mile that have more players playing the Champions League. In the last five Champions League, every team that won had six Brazilians starting. 
or three, four, or in playing against a team that had another three or four. So we, we still have it. The problem is the Brazilian national team cannot pull it together. That's number one problem. And a lot of it is the pressure side of it. And why, and that goes back to what we've been talking earlier. These kids now, when they are that talented, at eight years old, they're superstars. They're making 100K a year at eight, nine years old. So then the drive, the ability to handle the pressure, all those aspects that made the, what it, it's what made Romario, Ronaldo, Rivaldo different than Neymar, for example. And I think Neymar is the closest to them in, into that by a country mile, obviously. But to other guys that were so talented, like Coutinho, for example, is the inability to, at that moment, put in the Brazilian national team jersey. Or, for example, when Coutinho got bought for Barcelona as the second biggest transaction in soccer history. So when they are that guy, that one guy, the Messi, the Ronaldo, the Neymar of the team, they cannot handle it because they're being sugar-coated since they're eight, they're nine, they're ten. So they're being spoiled. So they're getting the cars, they're getting the sponsorships, they're showing up on TV. I mean, you look at those, I mean, there are kids now, they're eight, nine years old, Brazilians that play in the academies. They're being flown all over the world to participating soccer camps because people in China know who the 80-year-old Brazilian that plays for Santos is. He's coming to Kansas City. I mean, great, but like, hopefully there's, it's so big that they can have a psychology, you know, behind like professionals that can help them through that. But like, it's too much. And that has been becoming an unbelievable problem. And that's why a lot of these players, you know, they fell into the trap too early, got comfortable too early. And, you know, at 24, 25, you know, and now it's getting earlier and earlier. They're done. You know, you look at Ronaldinho, how good he was at 26, his career completely downhill. Wasn't interested in it anymore. So I think that's the biggest problem. And again, with the street soccer environment that we have there and the culture, the coach can do anything they won't ruin the player because it's so ingrained in our culture. And I think that's what happens with the Legends players. They leave our club if they graduate here and they go to college they can play under any traditional coach that will try to take their creativity 100% away. They won't be able to because after they... I would disagree. I, I've seen it with my own daughter. You know, the, the coaches that she played for, you know, after leaving our club. But don't you think your daughter had a better chance to go, th be, go through that than all the other girls that didn't play here or that left earlier? She had a higher chance, right? Higher chance of what? Of, of, keeping being, some creativity. of keeping some creativity than all the other girls that left the I, club before her. Of keeping some creativity, yeah. yeah. But the point was made that, you know, it, it didn't impact her. It did impact her. Yeah. You know, the coach wasn't encouraging her. She wasn't saying but go for it. But did she graduate here or did she play on other club before here? She couldn't graduate here. Correct. But, you know, that's my whole point. If, but if that's my point, it. is that as soon as they leave, you know, the culture that we have here... They're being asked to play a simpler, you know, a less leadership-oriented game of soccer. You know, so inevitably, the coach has power, yeah. you know, and the coach, you know, if they don't do what, the, you know, the coach says, you know, they don't get as many minutes. Yeah. Just because 
you know, they're being, you know, in the coach's eyes, rebellious, insolent. You know, they're doing what they've always done in our culture because our culture is do more, right? Yeah. You know, right. and so, you know, that's the problem is the culture in Brazil. The modern day culture is the problem. The modern day culture is money. Number yeah, one, 100%. you know, money is you know, the root of all evil, as they say. And yeah. you said number one while holding up number two. Okay. I, I can't see my own fingers. I'm so short-sighted these days. <laughs> that nose in the way. <laughs> that doesn't help. I've got one good eye and one bad eye, so I have to, you know, <laughs> I have to turn my head and stuff. And sometimes I forget to. But um, Andy, I, I grew up. I started playing for. I started playing for you at at six or seven. And I played all the way until I went. I, I would disagree with one of those things you just said. You said I grew up, and you have <laughs> you've yet to grow up. I'm sorry. And I, uh, <laughs> I I played all the way through until I went to college, and I was away in college for four years. And and uh, yes, you're right, Andy. Like I and and to to the point that you're making, Philippe. Let me give you some context or some perspective, and I, I think you'll probably agree with this statement. I, I I went all the way through the legend system. I I at at 18 when I went to college, I was at my pinnacle in terms of creativity, in terms of willingness to, t to take players on, in terms of success rate for taking players on, in terms of my ability to just water off the back um, when I made a mistake and move on to the next thing. And in college, I was always the most skillful go Adam player on every roster I played for all four years. Um, but it slowly ebbed. Um, and I finished my collegiate career below that level that I started it with. But that's uh, a reality of soccer. Look at how Cristiano Ronaldo played when he was younger and how he ended up playing his career. It's just a normal transition. Obviously, the players yeah, were there. I finished and at 22. Play. I wasn't old. Of course, of course. But w what I'm saying is th that is a natural process of the soccer career because when you reach a college level, when you reach a professional level, they don't care about you as a human being. As an individual, it's about the result and it's about the money. It's about the business, right? And whether it's right or wrong, I mean, it's a business, right? So they're so going to have to go depends. through that. They're going to have to go through that. So what I'm saying is when the kids graduate in the Legends Club, they'll have a higher lifetime span I think we all of agree creativity. On that That's yeah, all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, we all agree on that. Front. And, and you, you, you referenced CR7, and I'm forgetting the guy's name, but... Um, when they Messi, recruited, no, you got to hold on a minute. Oh. Um, when they recruited CR7, at Sporting or, or, or United, he was, he was with Sporting uh -huh. and United when Alex Ferguson recruited CR7, they also recruited who? Cleberson from Brazil. They were, they, there's a picture of them being presented together. I don't know if it was the same game. Okay, th this may be an even you know, bigger connection than I was aware of, because I wasn't aware of that. Um, but they recruited, I can't remember the guy's name, they recruited the From coach who, who ended up being the Portuguese national team coach. Is it Carlos Quiroz? Quiroz, yes. Quiroz, you know, yeah. I blanked on that for a moment. And they, they brought him to Manchester United to oversee his, uh, CR7's continued dribbling and shoot in development. So Alex Ferguson had, you know, the foresight to recognize that if he was brought into I the machine, if he was brought into the machine, even Alex Ferguson said, I'm Scottish, I'm dour, I'm grim. 
you know, you know, I'm not the guy that needs to be training CR7 because we need to encourage his creativity. And so he was such a good story. He was he was brought on board, and they literally gave him his own coach to oversee him to make sure he wasn't ruined by the culture at Manchester United. That's fantastic because you know, and 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 that's the thing. If our players, you know, can make better choice. Is, you know, players can get better choice and go to a program that has a little bit of more flexibility, then they can be set. Yeah, if they leave and go to a program that the coaches... Brazil, coach is, Brazil is making a mistake. You know, I, I would say 95% of the Brazilian coaches in the pro game are making the mistake of getting these talented kids, you know, who could be CR7, and they're not doing what Alex Ferguson had the foresight to do, you know, with Cristiano Ronaldo and Carlos Queiroz. They, they don't even this. have time. They leave to Europe when they're already sold to Europe. You've got to take 17. every second of every minute to make the most of the player though and you know and it'll make them more valuable so if they sell them on it's gonna it's gonna earn they, more money they for the can club. only be sold at 16 at 16 they are already sold by an ass amount of money and like the club is like okay we have two years for to have him for the first team like Hendrik right now in Palmeiras won the league first ever season playing professional soccer won the league was the best player in the league 17 years old But next year he's going to Real Madrid. What they can do about it? They can do anything about it. And Andy, I'd never heard that story about Carlos. Me neither. And 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 I am smiling ear to ear because I'm going to use this that specific story in so many different aspects of my life and and people that I work with and lead. What I love about it is it puts it puts a point, a giant exclamation point on. I think oftentimes we as as humans in whatever discipline, but soccer coaches specifically for this podcast we think that like if we follow this recipe we'll get the same result and 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 that puts a point on um alex ferguson the 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 recognition that the the recipe isn't exactly we have to have the right culture around the recipe for that recipe to 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 churn out the best thing like it puts a point on that like it's not exactly it's not just what you do it's not just that you run in your sessions 1v1s and 2v2s but it it has a lot to do with how you do it are you bringing this enthusiasm to your players um that 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 encourages them to to go a little bit further and and fail a little bit more or are you just running your 1v1s and 2v2s and just allowing that to happen without bringing this extra level of like of panache and enthusiasm and and I, I just it, it, I the the visual of having Alex Ferguson go I'm going to beat it out of him because I I don't smile enough and I'm not enthusiastic enough is like so freaking cool because duh but it's something that we don't think about so so it's 35 years that that you know since I founded the club 35 years we have had hundreds of players that when they left us to go somewhere, another club, a college program, some of them into the pros, you know, what did they get? They got coaches that restricted them, that wanted to have them play their patterns. You know, patterns are predictable. I'm sorry. You know, these were creative players. You know, you know, and this just happened last year with a whole bunch of, you know, female players that went to play ECNL in our club. And I went to watch them and every one of them had lost in just six months, had lost a massive amount of creativity. And they might not be happy with me pointing this out, 
But six months later, because of the coaching emphasis of the clubs they joined, they've lost a ton of creativity. And, and I'm not and stupid. They, and they don't do and the repetition. And I'm not biased at every to the point where parent, I can't recognize this. And every single parent before they're left is, we already know how to do a Maradona. We're not going to lose it. We're going to keep practicing this Maradona. We've and, heard this they, now for they, 35 every years. Every time they say and that. And yeah. it's never the case. Do you know what's yeah, the absolutely. difference? They, they literally, they kiss off a whole bunch of their kids' exceptionalism, eventual exceptionalism, you know, for a bit more college exposure, you know, and the reality is that they will be found, if they're that good when they're 17, college coaches will find them. If they're that good, I will drive them to the college coaches, Conservatism you know, camp, <laughs> you know, and say, look at this kid that's been with our program since they were three, four, five, six, seven. They'll beat people, they'll score goals. You know, you want to see a kid do a drag marathon at speed under pressure? You know, this is something that's never been done in the pro game. Watch this kid do it. Hey, I'm, go I'm rushing home to hop on Photoshop to create a new logo for ECNL, um, lowering kids' ceilings since 2012. <laughs> it, it's, you know, they're a recruiting organization. You know, this is why it's set up. A lot of these guys are friends of mine. I used to run, used to run super clubs, yeah. which was the organization of these clubs, but I was an inclusive super clubs runner. You know, theirs is an exclusive organization. Only certain clubs now can be at the top level in ECNL. They're locked in. They can't take any more. The inside store is they've gotten too big and you know they just can't take any more clubs at the top level so that's kind of locked in unless they kick somebody out you know which is you know a huge political fight if they do that you know so so what we've got now is we've got this recruiting organization that doesn't have to develop players because the parents want to get the college exposure and maybe the pro exposure and they know that the college coaches are going to those games so they sacrifice a ton of creativity and development and bravery and all of these things in order to get their kids in the shop window but because they've been with this club now for a year or two or three or four when they're in the shop window they're a fraction of what they would have been if they'd have stayed definitely with the legends club i think honestly the biggest problem isn't even the league existing and you know being a selective group or a, that's obviously there is its issues but we live in a capitalist country you know it's a business like you know, on that side of it but the problem is the clubs itself, because the club can join the ACNL. Like, if we joined the ACNL, we would coach the same way we do. We wouldn't change our coaching to try and win the games and, you know, reduce the kids' potential. So Speak we could, for yourself. Uh, <laughs> we, would, we would join the, the ACNL uh, on the girls' side, you know. And on the boys' side, is no different than, than what my boys played, you know. And my boys are super successful at the highest level, and we train this way. It's, it, 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 it's hard. Honestly, it's really hard to win games playing our way when they're eight, seven years old. But what, if they go through it when they're 14, 15, it's easy. Not easy, but it's easier. And, you know, I'm telling you, it's easier than it is for the other teams. New t-shirt idea. I'm, make, I'm making these up and I'm going to sell them out of the facility. And every soccer tournament I go to is going to be a combined logo, U.S. Soccer and ECNL, and embracing mediocrity since 2010. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we need to get back on track. Um, you know, I, we need, we, we've got we need to, to wrap up, Andy. We, we've got to, you know, deal with number four here. A, a wide variety of creative technical abilities create a plethora. Remember, we were doing the the four things. Mm -hmm. You know, the, and the last one we covered was technique. So we're going into tactics now. 
A wide variety of creative technical abilities create a plethora of tactical options. The Legends player is so adept at deceptive dribbling that good passing options are numerous. The Legends Club teaches every player to be a great deceptive dribbler and ball striker. That's the key skill of passing, because they're finishers. When everyone on a team has the deceptive dribbling skills necessary to possess the ball until the time is right for a pass, offensive choices are far more numerous than for those individuals and teams who are incapable of dribbling successfully under pressure. Because you can choose your moment that you want to pass. Or you can beat a player and score. You know, so those are two of a thousand different options of how, you know, the deceptive dribbler is more um, capable of influencing the game, making the big play, scoring the goal or getting the great assist, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, we need to recognize those four things. And we got into the first three and we kind of forgot that in our enthusiasm for other things. Well, uh, and I, I appreciate that about each of you, right? The enthusiasm that we that we bring to this game um, and obviously looking at what sits in front of Andy this is going to be a part two episode as well uh, because there's so much more to unpack but what I appreciate is this enthusiasm for talking about things that matter and can have an impact um, in a micro way on our specific teams and our specific families on the people that we encounter on a daily basis but in a macro way too in terms of the impact that it can have in, in terms of society, society and culture as a whole uh, the, 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 the highlight for me, for those of you listening, is that when you're running your sessions, physiology, psychology, technique, and tactics should be a part of every single thing that you do from minute one until the last minute of every single session. Yeah, get everything out get of every everything session. everything out, out of every session. And not, okay, we're going to do technique now, and now we're going to do tactics now. Do them both at the same freaking time, and what you'll have is the most efficient session possible, which you stack a efficient session on top of efficient session on top of efficient session, you have a more is more at a, a, a structure and your players achieve so much more and gain so much more than if you, if you uh, segmented, or segmented it out. Are we right. ready to wrap up? Yeah, Andy, how are you wrapping us up? All right, so, you know, obviously there's a ton more that we didn't get to, you know, and, and underneath breaking down the four elements of soccer, you know, there, there's 16 other areas that, you know, that as you break it down, you know, between, you know, um, from the four key elements that we covered, you know, then there's subsections and, you know, we have delved into those subsections and we've tweaked everything about our practice system and our game system so that all of those sub elements are included to the greatest degree in the total process. Does that make sense? You know, but let me finish with this. Let's not forget that it is the ability and willingness to recognize and nurture the creative individual elements of effective leadership that optimizes team potential. In the KC Legends Club, this is the quality that we highlight and nurture above all others. The Training Soccer Legends methodology gives children the greatest amount of personal, creative knowledge and skill. This guarantees greater long-term achievement, success, and fulfillment. The Legends approach expects players to be tremendously creative and risk-oriented under a myriad of intense pressures. Rare is the developmental environment that combines such tremendous complications with the expectation of an innovative response. The Legends soccer philosophy is proudly designed to mentor individuals who aspire 
to be part of the greatest teams in life. And, and that right there is the key. It's not about soccer. It's not about winning a stupid ball game. It's about preparing that individual to walk out into the world and be a leader in any environment they choose to be a leader in uh, because they've got a massively high self-concept. They believe that they can conquer any environment because they've conquered soccer. They're different, they're special, they're better, they're, you know, they're positive, they go for it. You know, they, they don't have the brakes on at any point in time you know, in their soccer career and they've become that number 10. They've become the big player on their high school teams, on their ODP teams, you know, a lot of them on college teams, definitely on, on anything they play, you know, in their youth level soccer outside of the Legends Club, you know, they are the biggest and best player on the team. Inside the Legends Club, we're all stars together. You know, so, you know, there's nothing negative about that. They have to work with other people that are just as good as they are, you know, and they have to raise their game to try and be even better than their teammates in the Legends Club who are being trained the same way. So it's, you know, it's, it's an elitist group without an elitist mentality. It's very socialistic, actually, but it's socialistic to where we want every single player to be brilliant whilst being treated equally. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Amen yes. to yes. that. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> uh, Andy, Philippe, another riveting episode. Uh, go, those of you guys listening to this, we've dropped two episodes at the same time, and we're recording again next week. Um, we're finishing out 2023 with a bang. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you very much. See you.